Welcome back to Ready Comics Roll, and if you enjoy what you're listening to, make sure you like, share, and subscribe. I'm the Soul Forged Goblin King, John. And I'm Mike Goldmantle, King of the Dwarves. And with us today, we have two very special guests. Brandon Jenkins from Metamagic Podcast, the world's okayest DM. Uh, you're a friendly local cleric, Amber, Will. And today we're going to be discussing D&D, uh, just in general kind what of What a, a broad discussion, thank I you. Know, I, I know, I really think that's great to kind of narrow it down just to D&D. I, we, everyone can appreciate that. Well, I, I think what I'm trying to get at is we're going to be talking about DMing, and, and kind of the trials and tribulations there within, and then kind of get a player's perspective on that as well. I mean, it's been so long since I've actually played in a game myself that I can't remember the last time I've been a player, really. <laughs> That's because we don't allow you to be a player anymore because you think that you have stone shape when you don't. Shut up. (laughs) If I I played more often, I'd remember things like not getting stone shape to level three. By the way, I think that's number 30 now that's been brought up that many times. No, that's like 130. (laughs) Um, Sorry, Brendan. We have this inside joke, obviously, with the fact that uh, we played a game with Mike a while back and he was a player and he didn't realize his levels and made sure that he... Thought the, pro- he had the, the problem was, is that in the, by playing a Dwarven Cleric, you get access to, uh, in, in I think it was, well, we were playing 4th, were we playing 4th? 3.75. No, we were playing 3.75, that's right. We were, we were playing the interim uh, D&D. And Dwarven Clerics got access to Earth-based uh, Cleric spells a level earlier However, because of the way that uh, domain spells worked, I didn't actually get it till another level later. So my, my question for you on that is, did the DM allow it? Um, it was kind of a faux pas in the moment, and nobody really caught it until, like, the next time we got together for a session, I think. Right, I think the DM kind of went, reviewed what's going on, and then was like, wait, you're doing that shit a little bit early. So... But, I mean, to, to be fair on the DM, how many players did we have at that point in time? I think eight. Yeah, I, think I think we were playing with, eight, like, eight people. And it was, um, I mean, actually, Pathfinder is what we're looking into. Yeah. That's what it was, just picking up a new system. I mean, it's still nowhere near my 13-player Star Wars game, but, you know. <laughs> or Jeremy's fucking 20-player game that you love so much. They got up to 20 players? Yeah, at one time. Oh, wow. Yeah, that that campaign lasted for like a year. A year. Yeah, that's just the combat. Yeah, I know, <laughs> don't even get combat. remind me. Oh the my horror god, combat, combat. after the year. Oh my god, yeah. No, I'm 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 a little bit jaded from that year long campaign because of our DM. Uh, how he decided to end that campaign It was a little bit heartbreaking. So. Yeah, we don't speak of it. Anymore. It was all a dream, wasn't it? Shut up, Mike. <laughs> if he hits you, I'm just gonna sit here and watch and then deny everything at the cops ever, involved. Okay, so here's the thing: you guys, as being DMs, and then me being—I've dabbled in being a DM, but obviously I've been more player than DM. Um, the baby wants to be a DM too. Um, so <laughs> what it comes down to is this: though, it has has a player ever come to you and said, "Listen, you know." I like the story. I like where things are going. Just please, please, please. They're almost begging with you. Just don't have this instrumental part. Like, don't have this type of ending. Don't have this type of outcome. Like, I mean, I know it's kind of harsh to try to tell you, the DM, like, how they want your story. But at the same time, they're almost bartering. Like, I don't care what you do. You can kill me off. But make something elaborate. Just don't end this such as 
a dream sequence. Please don't end this as a dream <laughs> sequence. And then they go ahead and do it. Like, being a player and that scenario comes up, it's kind of like, man, I'm pissed. <laughs> like, I asked you for one thing. <laughs> well, I mean, the only time that I've ever actually had somebody ask me about the ending of a campaign... Um, well, it's not really asking. It's more or less saying, can you please not go in that direction? Well, I mean, again, the only time that I've actually had anybody ever bring up the ending of my campaign is uh, I was running a uh, D20 modern game that was fused with Call of Cthulhu. So it was essentially a Call of Cthulhu game where the players could actually fight back instead of just having to run from everything. Because I've done, I, like, we, we'd done, like, uh, Cthulhu Halloween kind of games and stuff where we would get together, we'd do one-shots, play Cthulhu, and everybody would die or go insane. Oh, one I, we got really used to that. And then we, I, somebody brought up the idea of doing, like, they wanted to do um, D20 Future with Cthulhu, and I was like... Let's do modern, because I don't like laser weapons. <laughs> I think at least, at least not when it comes to fighting Cthulhu mythos. It works. Go it, for it. It works. I mean, um, Cthulhu Tech did it decently well. Yeah. Yeah. Cthulhu Tech did do it decently well. This was before Cthulhu Tech. I like the Ava aspect of it. But what, what about you, Brendan? Have you ever ran into one of those scenarios where you've ever had like someone ask you, kind of almost plead with you, like... Don't do this one faux pas that is so, like... This trope. This trope that makes it kind of ruin the story that you've experienced for so long. And I'm putting a little um, bit more emphasis on that as a player. Not normally, because a lot of players, especially when you're dealing with Adventure League, are just happy to play. But I've had the opposite happen. I've had players beg me to let them, like, have the bad outcome or let us die. Like, don't pull punches, please. I'm so sick of DMs pulling punches. Um, I've had that happen a, like pretty much almost in every game I've ever ever DM'd for is they they want the worst outcome and I'm like guys you you're actually doing well I'm not pulling punches <laughs> like relax <laughs> um, I don't want to kill you <laughs> just because you have some kind of weird suicide wish right right it's not my fault that as a DM I only ever roll threes okay yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> you ever notice that when when you're a player, sometimes you can get like on a hot streak, but when you're a DM, you have like lower hot streaks. I don't know. I've seen that. You know, yeah, dude. I had an I had an entire game session where I swear to God, the highest number I rolled the entire night was an eleven. It was bad, and that was with like uh, we had played. It wasn't fifth uh, fifth edition. It was before fifth edition came out. There was another game system that used advantage and disadvantage thing, where you get two dice rolls. <laughs> Baby wants to be in conversation, Mike. That's I know. <laughs> um, but there was, I, I think it was like Alpha and Omega or something. I had run like a one shot, and the entire game, even with advantage, I kept rolling no higher than an eleven, and I wasn't hitting anybody. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, that's the thing, though. I, I'm, but going back to what I was saying before, just that I, I'm, I'm fine with DMs not pulling punches. You know, I'm fine with them kind of going, "Hey, listen, you, there's a good possibility for you to die." I think the only time I've ever asked is that whole like, "Don't make this a dream sequence." Now, if it, <laughs> if it's a if it's like a small portion of uh the the game say a scenario is you go into this area and it's for like a part of the campaign you know maybe a few game sessions or something like that and then it kind of walks out but then you continue your campaign i'm fine with that but my biggest thing that i hate is that whole let's end the entire campaign where hey 
uh, the whole thing for one year was nothing but a dream sequence. I'd rather have had the DM just smack me down with God's fist and kill my character than deal with that. Well, the 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 most interesting archetype I've ever come across, and this is something that, that sprouted up recently, and I really want to actually attempt one of these games, essentially turning D&D into a roguelike, where you play through the campaign, and it's it's set to be a little bit harder than what your player what your players are leveled for. So there's a higher chance of them dying. And when they do die, they come back as like either uh, descendants or essentially they get to create a new character that has that uh, that previous character's like things, belongings, yeah. weapons, artifacts, you know, artifacts um, from the previous character. Have you ever done a character funnel for like the Undercaller Classics before or a character funnel? Um, I've heard of that. I've never actually done one. Uh, can you explain a little bit on that? Because yeah, I'm unfamiliar with it. Absolutely. So uh, a funnel, you can do it in other games, too. Uh, Dungeon Crawler Classics is where you actually, it's part of the game to do it. But you create uh, usually like four zero-level characters. So these are weaker than first-level characters. And um, they're going to die. <laughs> they're basically... Uh, <laughs> they're going to die. <laughs> you run a camp... The DM runs a campaign that's very hard for these characters who are basically like non-classes. They're like villagers. And the one who makes it out alive gets to be your character you start the campaign with. Oh, oh wow. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I recently did one for Dungeon Crawler Classics, and uh, that... Uh, Dungeon Crawler Classics is just D&D 1. Or, sorry, it's just 2.0. That they remade in the fifth edition system, more or less, but um, oh, okay. that has that same kind of like roguelike feel to it. It's doing a character funnel can kind of give you that mm-hmm. same feeling without it being the whole campaign, but still really liking your character that comes out of it because they're the survivor. <laughs> I swear, Will didn't when didn't you run a game one time though to where it on the opposite spectrum, kind of like what Mike was saying. Um, didn't we run a game where we started off as like a higher end character, or was that Jeremy? We started off as a higher end character, and it was exactly like Mike said. The characters ended their story, and then if maybe not direct descendants, it was kind of some kind of lineage to your past characters. I remember something. I think it was like a few years ago. Uh, something. something similar like that. No, what it was is um, I took ideas from past campaigns and past characters and brought them into a new game, and the players are pretty much without realizing it, were the descendants of those characters. The previous characters set in motion a chain of events that would slowly keep going throughout time, up in, up until the current era where your characters were, and then the characters would have to deal with it then, while slowly finding out that, oh, I have a past that's linked to this, and that this person I used to be. And uh, eventually the idea was of, um, <clears throat> that if these characters were to die off, that their, I guess... In essence, their soul would put be reincarnated into another form and still keep the fight going as they're discovering their past more and more. I mean, obviously, I I definitely can appreciate as a player one of those things where it's kind of DM takes care of what a past story was to try to bring in those aspects and things, especially if you have a normal crew. I think that's what it comes down to is having that normal crew who kind of comes together. You, uh, Brendan, you being with Adventure League, that's probably a little bit harder with, you know, having random kind of people coming in and out of uh, your scenarios, if you would. Yeah, more or less. I mean, I... um. I have a couple. Th- I do, dude. I have Adventure League. I have a regular cl- crew, but even then, like meeting regularly is still a chore, especially when everybody works like full time jobs. Because like 
coworkers and friends and things like that. So it can get tough either way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what we run into a lot ourselves. We've been meaning to kind of get on a new uh, D&D campaign to kind of go with 5th edition really good. That I literally it. created an entire world for almost a year ago now. Yeah, but you know what, though? touched on it. You and your laziness continues to not get a lot of people into the game. So... <laughs> so like some hostility um, here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, to be fair, I, I've, I've reached out to a few people to try to play, and it, it's one of those things, like, I want it to be a table classic kind of game. I didn't want to do it through, like, Roll20 or even using, like, the Neverwinter engine or something like that to kind of play it. I wanted to actually have it be a sit-down game, and it's just kind of hard to get everybody together for that. Uh, I agree. I, I don't like playing online. I only play in person. I look at it this way, and I'm used to... I don't think I've ever played in a campaign in which we weren't physically there to do something. But just as we're saying, the encounter of not <laughs> having the ability for everyone to get together in your normal crew or do something like that, um, it, to... If, if you're at home and you're taking care of your kid, Mike, I think it's a lot better for you to possibly even DM through that than have everyone come over and disturb the household, you kind of breaking away and do that. Everyone can still be at home. And I know there's a disconnect, but at least you can still get your game on. Oh, well, okay. So here's my here's my major perspective on that. I haven't actually played with Roll20. I have played with the Neverwinter 2 DM mode engine. Um, I set up an entire campaign through that, and I had a, a, a group of people that I knew and had played with in normal D&D before. However, getting into the digital engine of it, it, it turns people who can be very story-oriented into murder hobos. And that became, that like, that literally off-tracked everything, because it was, like, I had an innkeeper NPC that had the ability to become aggro if they did certain things around the innkeeper. And because they immediately did start a fight in the in the tavern and immediately did all this other stuff, it completely sidetracked everything. They ended up killing the innkeeper after the innkeeper killed one of them. Because <laughs> he was an ex-adventurer. So they were supposed to get all kinds of, like, secrets and knowledge from him, but they, you know, trashed his tavern, and he trashed one of them. Murder is as murder does. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I, I've always had that, I've always had that stigma where if you play in it, in the, in the, it, with the digital setup, that there's more likely going to be a disconnect from your character, where you just kind of turn into a murder hobo. I think when you, you, you put in story into your characters, you, you want there to be, more of the aspect of playing them to who they are in your mind than turning them into a murder hobo. <laughs> I've um I've played a roll twenty campaign a, a like a quote unquote real campaign where people didn't like blow it up through roll twenty before using Shadowrun. Um I I was a player in that one. Um but even messing around with roll twenty, like it worked fine, but you have to get uh, you have to get maps together and actually, like, picture profiles. Because you can't just have everyone sitting there staring at a blank grid. It's not going to work. When you're in person, uh, you can have people that watch you talk and kind of talk with your hands and things. And it's easier to, like, have, I guess, less material. But it's a lot more prep work to get something in through Roll20 because people are just going to be staring at that blank grid screen on Roll20. <laughs> if you're just talking to them, um, 
or or mostly talking and people get bored and then they go on the internet and then it just kind of like degrades yeah i i can definitely <laughs> see the concept of like holding people's attention while you know doing a uh let's just call it uh not a live game um and doing it kind of uh, networked like that but again it, i i guess the only thing that i had to say about that was that if you have a lot of people who are busy and they can't get out and you can't run a normal game, then that at least is the option to do it. That's a tool out there for you to at least try to do it. Yeah. Even if you wanted to try to do, let's say, hey, listen, you know, we're, we're not going to run a long, long campaign on this. This is just one of those things where maybe you do one shots with it just so people can get together. It's, it's Friday or Saturday. No one's doing anything. We kind of hooked this up. Let, let's do a, a good long, um, one shot campaign because we can't all get together and put something out. I mean, uh, like you were saying, a, a Shadowrun game would be interesting. I know for long campaigns as well, but short. I know Will has been wanting to do uh, stuff with Shadowrun for a while. <laughs> yes, I have. Uh, it is a very interesting world. It's kind of nice to see all these uh, weird and fantasy creatures brought up to too much. Well, not modern, but a futuristic time. The only thing with Shadowrun is um, if you don't have a right player base, though, because it requires a lot of thinking. And it's compared to like D and D, since it's future, you no longer have to worry about threats that's in front of you, or maybe even in a, in a spirit-like realm. Now you have threats in front of you, threats in the spirit realm, threats in magical realms, and a threat in cyberspace. So it's just it, that's one thing I do enjoy. It's another depth of things that you have to look at and watch out for. But I know it's just a lot of um, if your character, if your players aren't truly in depth in a playing, it could be a rough experience. Yeah, the, the the combat literally in Shadowrun takes place in three separate planes at the same time. You're fighting on the yeah. internet, you're fighting in the spirit world, and in person, all in the same combat, all at the same time. Right. That it, it definitely. It, would you would you say definitely Shadowrun is kind of more for maybe even your advanced players? Because I I think that would sound kind of daunting. You know what I mean? For for someone who's just coming in. Depends on the characters. You don't have to play in all three of those if you go easy on them as a DM to teach them. I mean, there's a there's a level of play for everybody, but the character creation is horrible. <laughs> you will need to be at least have some experience with tabletop before jumping into right. that. I, I will say no. No new player can just pick up and make a Shadowrun character if you've never played or are very new to tabletops. You're not going to do it. Right. Um, I wouldn't say it's it's harder for like newer players. Yeah, the uh, character creation is... Um... Definitely an interesting and different one, but the the DM, or whatever you prefer to call them, does need to be really experienced for that, to be able to plan all those locations, or, you know, to know when the players can't deal with it, to cut back. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think the players need to be experienced, it, it more needs to require an experienced game runner. Yeah, I mean, I can see that too, just because if you have that experience, then someone new coming into it can at least get uh, the assistance needed to create the character, but... Somebody here has to know uh, what they're doing. There's two sides to the coin. <laughs> mm -hmm. Huh? Yeah, there's two sides to the coin. I mean, yeah. I mean it's, it's it's similar to 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 Cyberpunk in the in the setting where you like you don't want to just have one type of character. If you if you're if you plan out a story and you end up with a whole bunch of characters that can't deal with the cyber realm, then you end up having to get rid of that part of your story yeah. because there's no one to deal with it. If you don't have, in, in Cyberpunk, if you didn't have a hacker, well, what were you doing? <laughs> yeah. But it was one of those things like, I, as many times as I've tried to run, especially games like that, Cyberpunk, Shadowrun, I always end up missing something. 
Um, with Shadowrun, I always end up not having like some a mystical type character, so there's no one to bother with the spirit world. Or I end up with no techie, so I don't have the cyber world. It's very rarely that you don't have a physical character, but I've had that game you know, too. The way around that for at least for Shadowrun is because you guys are all mercenaries. You can hire one to be on your crew as an NPC because you don't have one and you need one. That's that's the way I've always done it. Now that that's actually one of the few things that actually I really enjoyed about um, Shadowrun. That you know I, I just I was shocked I never thought of it before was the mercenary role because even it, like even like in campus like D and D. Some like you know mercenaries exist, or in you know if you call, in Faerun, sell swords or whatever you call them, you know there's always someone around who's willing to work for money, which is a tool I don't mind using in DMing for players when you know like okay, well this is my usual trope. Well, okay, they're down a player. Uh, drop some hints that you know there might be someone you know they're able to play a little bit to replace them. But uh, Shadow One was actually really the first game that actually made me really think about that, and that's why I enjoy- that's one of the, another aspect of Shadow Run that I enjoyed. I, I have a I've always had a hard time keeping my players from doing things like that. I I had a I I had one game where they ransacked a uh, a caravan before coming into a town because uh, they found the caravan like wrecked and there was like obvious signs that bandits had attacked and stuff like that. Instead of following the trail to go find the bandits, they went into town. And they spent all the gold that they ransacked from the caravan. Hey man, priorities. <laughs> on hiring mercenaries to go find the bandits. <laughs> they sent NPCs to go fight other NPCs. Listen, sir. I was that's... like, okay, alright, that's one way around the story, I guess. They didn't want to play D&D, they wanted to play Economy the Game. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. it works sometimes. Sometimes it does. Oh, good times. I mean that that was that was a problem for like I've had I've had so many games where we get to the like we'll get to level ten level fifteen somewhere in there and then they realize that some of these threats are just kind of underneath them or they at least think that these threats are underneath them that like I don't know how to you know write in something that is going to actually cause like some kind of battle to take place and them actually have to worry about their skills and abilities but it, it's so weird to to like. To get groups that think like that, because it, it throws off a lot of stuff, and that's always been that's always been one of the things that I've always loved about some of the groups of people that I've played with is I always have people that like to think outside the box, and I, I haven't done Adventure League only because I've always been worried that I was just going to get a whole bunch of murder hobos. <laughs> Surprisingly, you get a lot of people who are just want to play, yeah, play just because they can't. No, I get, I get that, and I, I've seen, I've seen people out there who do uh, like that exclusively because that's their only way of being able to play. So they'll they'll come in, they'll do an adventure league game, and they'll you know they'll role play, they'll play their character, they'll you know try to organize the the group as best as they can to to do what the you know is in front of them. And a lot of times with the with the adventure league setup. I think that it, it's always easier to write or run the, the pre-written campaign kind of things. Like, especially with 5th edition, you have all the modules and stuff that have come out already. Um, I really, 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 really want to do the Ravenloft setting one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just because that was always my favorite setting. I'm running that right now for my Adventure League crew. Nice. Uh, it's Tomb of Annihilation? Uh, no, no, Ravenloft, Ravenloft is going to be Curse of Strahd. Curse of Strahd, yeah. Okay. See, I had I had I had read through <laughs> Tomb of Annihilation and was gonna do Tomb of Annihilation for a group of people, and that's why I had that on top of my head. But 
the Curse of Strahd is the one that I really want to pick up and run. Yeah, I mean, Strahd, Strahd is the Doctor Doom of Dungeons & Dragons. Definitely. Yeah, he is. I'm in. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what it is. You said Doctor Doom, I'm there. <laughs> he, he's he's like Count Dracula meets Doctor Doom. Yeah, that's exactly what he is. Yeah. <laughs> With uh, with that stuff, like I I remember running uh, second ed modules for like Mistara and Ravenloft and um, even the the core Greyhawk campaigns were always kind of fun. The the modules that they that they've come up with for D anD D, I've always found to be, you know, you can always work something in if you don't think it fits with what you wanted to do. If you want to run. uh, kind of like a mesh campaign out of multiple modules. I've been able to do that before. Mm -hmm. Um, I I did that with Mistara and um, the, there was a Faerun campaign that, that uh, had come out that was based around the legacy of Dritzt. And um, I had done that mixed with Mistara. And I thought that was actually kind of interesting Um, because Mistara is very much a more high magic and I've always found Faerun to be kind of the lower end of fantasy. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a fantasy world, but it's... Like low magic. It, it yeah. is low magic. So it's it was very interesting to kind of put, like, a city like Mistara into Faerun, mm-hmm. where, you know, there's a wizard high council, and there's, you know, all kinds of magic going on, and there's witches and warlocks, and, all, like, just everybody... In the city had magic. So I got a question with uh, with all of you since you guys have you know your experience <clears> with playing D and D and DM and D and D and games like it. When when you're coming up with campaigns or have pre rendered campaigns that are that are there, do you have an aspect or even a type that you more prefer? Do you prefer like the I want to tell the story and kind of go throughout it? Or a little bit more open world, or have the adventure league where it's kind of like we're going on this adventure type thing. Like, obviously, you have your woes with certain things, but do you have a facet in which you prefer that? Even even without the, even with the trouble of players, do you prefer one style over the other? Because I know everyone's going to have a preference. Everyone's going to be like. I really want to tell my story, or I really want the world to be open for these players. Uh, for me, I do enjoy like, hey, here's a story, you know, let's run through it, but I don't leave the world out of it. Because sometimes, you know, players might want to go, well, hey, you know, this is what I want to do, you know, if it involves a story, but at the same time, I want to go to this place because this is something, you know, my character wants to do. So at least try and leave it open. And if they try to do that, you know, try and see if they can't find a way to work the story around to a, yes, they can do that, but it will, you know, eventually bring them back into the story. So it's not to deviate from it too much. On, on my end, I, I've always been, I've always been more of a, like, open world kind of focus. And now I'm, I, I, I think that's the reason why I, I've created the world that I've created for the D&D campaign that I want to run in the future, because I think that if you make, the story of the world interesting enough, then it kind of gives players a focus. And you'll you'll get to the point where if you're doing like a Westerosi type campaign where you have things like a Mother of Dragons and a Jon Snow type character, you can kind of get people to fall in behind one of those kind of types of characters. So if you need kind of a grounded storyline you can do that you can yeah, kind of you have a directional you, you like, have a you have player. somebody that's gonna i'm gonna do the noble thing or you have somebody who's like i'm trying to gain my seat of power back mm-hmm. 
you can kind of put the, the players on that focus to either help one of those characters out or become the opposition to those characters. I, I think that in those kind of worlds, you you have kind of a grounding facet. So even if the world is open story, or if your story is open world, you can, <laughs> you can kind of shoehorn in a focus. Whereas with the world that I've been creating, it, it, it has so much of a, like world history, because I, I, I've set it up to where there's a, uh, a cyclical event that happens every so many, uh, like, uh, millennia or whatever. And the idea is, is that the players don't know about it because they were born after the last cataclysm and they don't know the next cataclysm's coming. Because <laughs> it's, a, it's a long enough time to where eons pass and people forget about it and they don't pass it down. It's and, all in legend and you don't know what yeah, and you don't know if it's true or not, not, blah, 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 blah. But eventually the players find things that kind of guide them to finding out that that's the truth and maybe trying to have them try to offset something from it happening again. So I always am more world first and story can kind of fall in behind whatever the players want to do. Um, I will ignore... Okay, so for Adventure League, you have to run modules. So I'm not even going to um, touch the, that part of Adventure League because you don't really have a choice. But outside of that, um, I actually prefer running the module, like books and modules anyway. Um, I mean, I, I work full-time. I'm married. and I just I don't have time to like write a world on top of just being able to relax outside of work. But what I will do is uh, I'll, I'll play the book, no matter what the book is, I'll play it until it's broken. Once it's broken, <laughs> no holds bar, I will write that story, and I'll write it to the end, because then it's just cause and effect what would happen. <laughs> you know, you, you have you have punched the, uh, the, the head of the Citadel who you're trying to defend in the face. Congratulations, you've broken the game. Give me five minutes. All right, cool. Well, you guys are in jail. That's going to be your adventure from now on. And um, <laughs> you guys are going to break out. You're going to be on the run from the law. Like you're kind of throwing Tiamat out the window. We're not. You, you, that's on hold right now because you're currently outlaws, and this is your campaign now. This is what you have decided, <laughs> and I'm cool with that. I don't mind it. I, I actually really like it because it makes them kind of victims of their own actions, <laughs> but which is which is great. I like write. I like writing. Um, the cause and effect from when players initiate it. It's really fun. I, I had a I had a I had a game uh speaking of where players get arrested, which uh, apparently is a trope in and of itself. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> if you don't have a scenario where at least one of your party members gets arrested for even something stupid, you're not running the campaign right. Are you even adventurous at that point? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, realistically, the the idea of getting arrested is the ultimate thing because you you do something in one city. What if it's outlawed in the other? You can't always walk old ladies across the street. It might be illegal somewhere else. Well, okay. <laughs> the thing is, is this, and I, I I think this is the 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 epitome of that whole thing it, it's the if you can take agency away from a player the, what agency okay not adjacency agency <laughs> no i thought it, you said agency <laughs> that's the problem here um, if you can take agency away from the player it, it it gets them to want to get their 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 power back they want to be able to have their their freedom back so by taking it away from them for any period of time they always try to find some way of getting it back. However, I had one player who was perfectly content with sitting in prison, and that sounded like Siba. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> going to name names. No. <laughs> so I had a, I had a campaign 
or or it was like I think it was a one shot, but it ended up kind of turning into a campaign because the, he got arrested and then it was like I'm not even going to attempt to break out. Well, the other half of the party, well, okay, two members of the party decided to try to break him out of prison the hard way. Another two party members went off to go see the like lord of the town and negotiate for his release, and they got it. They were gonna go. They were going to the prison to go, like, get him let out. The other two members of the party had showed up, killed three guards, were in a fight with the 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 uh, constable of the of the city, and then the the lord of the town came to the prison after like the fight had, and then just arrested them all with the entire militia of the town behind him. And I'm like, Sounds all right, legit. now you're all in prison. Yeah, Sounds common. Well, I guess I can yeah, see like a positive example too of breaking because breaking is always have to be negative. Um, like for example, where you said, uh, you know, old ladies crossing the street is illegal. If if you want to be a good paladin and roleplay properly, you can petition for support to join like the city council, and then from there start reforming the laws of the city, which would essentially break the game, but. It's a thing that, like, I would be totally cool if a paladin like wanted right. to do that. I'd be like, "All right, let's see where this goes." You know? <laughs> I was going to say, on the city council. <laughs> I've actually played quite a few paladins, and my thing is too. I've also played some characters that were really politically driven, so I've kind of gone on those things where it's just like, um, you know, since I'm lawful one way or the other, lawful that when if I'm playing a political role. Uh, once that law is enacted, guess what? I'm not doing anything evil now. <laughs> I'm following the law. <laughs> That's how you make it to where you, you have those shades of darkness in a lawful good paladin yeah. where you're like, all right, there you go. It's the law. It's the law of the land. I'm doing good. Says that I'm supposed to kill old ladies instead of walk them across the street. This is what it is told. It is written in the laws of well, this there's, city. There's certain more paladins actually have to follow their own like lawful code of their deity. To that's overrated. So that's they... overrated. <laughs> that's, one, that's one of the reasons why I, I, I've really come to like some of the stuff that they they've done in like the Dragon Magazine and even in Fifth Ed, where they actually started to turn the paladins kind of more into knights of an order yeah. that follow more the stricture of their order than any set of laws in a city. Right, yeah, because they're supposed to reform bad laws. If they think a law is, like, lawful evil, their job is going to be, like, they're going to reform it from within the system. So are yeah. you talking about getting rid of old ladies as a bad law? Old ladies, <laughs> yeah. They would get rid of old ladies, that way they can't be killed anymore. The... <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we call lawful neutral. <laughs> yep, right. lawful neutral. Just doing it. Yep, it's how I follow things. It's good. But um, uh, to to go back a little bit with something, uh, I was actually gonna say, I, I I have DM'd a few games, and I've I've um done stuff to where I've. I've done it to where I've wanted to tell a story and the, the players in the campaign were built and, uh, you know, I bring them up through the campaign so they can experience something. And then I've also done kind of like the open world stuff. And I've done something similar to where Mike, where I built the world and then I've tried to put stories within it and depending on their actions, uh, you know, they come across and they can discover a story and then, uh, that's how they do it. That those were those open world ones where they're, it's designed like that. Those are s really fun campaigns, but also really complicated. You know, s deep seated campaigns where it's just like I don't even know if I can follow my own stuff. 
Well, a lot of times when you're when you're doing something like that, you have to you have to mindset every NPC to a certain degree. Like you 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 have to be open minded enough to kind of come up with a with every single character in your world if you if you because you don't have a guideline for it. You don't right. have. But my only thing though is I've never followed like a campaign guide. So everything for me, I've always had to like generate. I've never so, even... So all your NPCs are smarmy assholes. I got you. Yeah, I yeah. Got you. Yeah, yeah. All right. I mean, listen, the bartender's <laughs> going to kill you whether you order a drink or not. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, like, I... There are actually a lot of resources that can help out with that. Um, I know, like, Numenera does one-shot, like, books of one-shots that are just supposed to be, like, short campaigns, and then they give you the option of branching it off into the whole world. Like, I had a Body Snatchers one. That basically you solve it in one town, but it's like, oh, and if you want to keep doing this, you can say it's infecting other towns and basically have this become a whole thing. Um, and then Pathfinder has the NPC codex. To get mm-hmm. NPC uh, Sword and Sorcery has one too. Yeah, and the villain codex as well, uh, which are great if you like to write your own stuff. Yeah, those have been very helpful. Like yeah. looking at different types of NPCs and all the thought characters. So somehow, when it comes down to things, if I if I'm left to my own machinations, there's always like a I, I have this thing with 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 monks in my storylines, where if I if I created the the world, I always have one tradition of monks that are just completely doing something that they think is right, but they are they are doing it for like an e- like an evil entity. Like I had, I had an order of these uh, like dragon dragon aspect monks. Essentially, they believed in the the power of dragons, the blood of dragons, and all that stuff. And they they were doing uh, all this like dragon ritual type stuff for what they perceived to be a goodly silver dragon. However, it was a shape shifted shadow dragon. That was manipulating them into into essentially hoarding his treasure for that for him. <laughs> so it was these monks that had taken like vows of um, poverty, but they would bring they they would take treasure and just bring it back to their monastery and leave it for this dragon. And then the 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 party shows up and wrecks everything. <laughs> like messes up all the monks, destroys the mo- like burns down the monastery. And and reveals that the dragon is an actual shadow dragon instead of being a silver dragon, and like getting into this huge fight, and the dragon just fleeing and being like, "All right, now you guys got to deal with all this crap." <laughs> I, I've always had I've always had like some kind of monastic tradition that's always been messed up, and I think that's just because I I've always been a fan of monks, but they've always ended up being the most broken class in almost every iteration of D anD. d 3.5 probably being the worst incarnation of that. <sighs> yeah, <clears throat> No, I, I can see that, especially <laughs> since you had things like, um, the one thing I wanted to try and do was a, um, they called it Zen Archery. Yeah. But it was built for monks. So instead of I, um, doing a whole... Um, unarmed fighting. Unarmed fighting and then the flurry of blows, it can end up being a flurry of arrows instead. So I always thought that was an interesting concept, like the different types of monks, not just, you know, your standard martial artists or anything like that, but... Maybe other weapon users. Like, I, I love these. So yeah, they have a tendency to be broken. Well, I thought I thought it was really interesting when they started they started breaking away from like the traditional. I I, I don't want to say traditional because monk hasn't always like monk was a D and D class in third ed, but I mean there was there were there were second edition 
variations of monks that were from other sources, not just the the core handbook because you didn't have monk in the core handbook in second edition. When when they kind of made monk a core class in third ed, there were no real like monk weapons. It was mm-hmm. always just supposed to be you know fists. And then when they did 3.5, and then even in Pathfinder, and then in uh, 4th edition, you had monk, uh, like monk weapons, where they would start using like commas, or a staff, mm-hmm. or you know something, not just their bare fist, but they could actually use their flurry with those weapons. They could, you know, they could do things with those weapons that weren't just their unarmed damage. However, their unarmed damage always still ended up superseding those weapon damages, so it was always like, why even bother? For the reach grapple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for the reach grapple. Oh my god. Need that chain comma. fighting monk. Need that chain comma, man. You need that chain sickle. <laughs> uh, they were grapple gods in 3.5. Yeah. They still were even in 3.75. Oh, Pathfinder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was actually one of my re- one of my main reasons for not playing Pathfinder so much was the fact that uh, they managed to break monks even worse than they were in three point five, and I was like, I'm, I'm going to just walk away now. I'm going to just not play Pathfinder anymore. <laughs> I just started. A, I just started a Pathfinder game that I was doing last weekend. Yeah, that we just started for us. Was it Skull and Shackles? I think I'm not running it. I'm okay. playing it. Uh, but I picked up the Elemental Shifter been pretty good so far yeah no i mean i i think that pathfinder did something uh, a lot of things right but there there was a few things that i'm just like eh. oh yeah two two comes out what in a month so we should something like that yeah. yeah it's coming out soon i just i never fell in love with it like it was weird because i've always been a huge D fan and i think that was one of the things like pathfinder just kind of felt like it was dirty to me and the weird thing is, is I used to do Swords and Sorcery, which was the, you know, the D&D clone. It, it, even, it even jumped to the D20 system the same time D&D did. Like, it completely rewrote its core set to match D&Ds for the longest time. And it was one of those things, like, that always felt a little awkward, but Swords and Sorcery made open source books. Mm-hmm. So it was it was kind of like you could use Swords and Sorcery in D&D, and then it's just a D&D campaign with some extra elements. And I think that's always why I felt more like, even if I ran a Swords and Sorcery game in the Swords and Sorcery world, it never felt too off-kilter to me. Yeah, it's Pathfinder's a hard sell nowadays with 5th edition. Maybe 2 will change that, but... Um, I mean, when Pathfinder came out, it was in the in the grips of fourth edition was going on, and that that was a no brainer for for me. That's when I got into Pathfinder when, um, yeah, because I went from like two second edition, went to like college and stuff, didn't really play much, and then came back around fourth and was like, oh no, um, and then someone's like, oh well, Pathfinder exists. It's made by the three point five people. And that, that's where I fell in love with it because I, I didn't want to touch fourth edition. Yeah, I mean, I I, I played in I, I played in a few fourth edition campaigns actually as a player, and to be honest, like I, I get where everybody's gripes come from with it. However, I think it was still a a a, a usable system. Like it was something that I I felt actually, as far as things went, it was just it 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 was trying to be an MMO. As a as a as a tabletop game, and that did feel a little weird, but it it did help streamline things a lot, and I thought that it was a much easier to run system when it came down to combat. But the problem is, is a lot of people used it just as a combat factory, and that was the problem with the the the, the system in its in and of itself. Is it it made combat so easy 
that that's what everybody wanted to do. However, I, I I did a few games where I was the player in somebody else's story. We almost never did combat, and it was one of those things like it's still really good for the story. Like it, it's not the system doesn't make the story. The story is in and of itself whatever you make it. And that was the problem is so many people were turning stories into just combat factories instead of trying to write an actual story for fourth ed. Yeah, but uh, one one thing, speaking of, like, complex, I did have a, a question uh, that I've kind of been dealing with. Um, I found out with 5th edition, um, it compared to Pathfinder, like, when you make a Pathfinder Shadowrun character, because it takes so long to make, I find that my characters <laughs> stick with them a lot better and, like, do everything they can to try and save their characters. But 5th edition, because they're so easy to make, I don't know if you guys gotten this, I've got a lot of players out in and outside of Adventure League who are are already thinking about their next character they're going to make while they're playing this one. So they're like, if it dies, it's cool. I'll just make a paladin instead next time because I kind of want to try that because they're so fast to make. I don't know if that's a problem you guys run into at all. Well, that's a that's a problem I, I've always had as a player. Yeah. I get, I get into the process of, like, I make a character and then I want to make another one because I, I like the idea of inventing... You know, a character. And, and uh, it's always been so much fun for me to... And that's one of the reasons why I started DMing as much as I do. Because then I get to create a ton of characters. For everyone to kill. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm on the opposite spectrum. I tend to drive home one character for a while and put put a lot into that one character. Well, I, I, I've had I've had my, my uh, staple characters, as I like to call them, where I, I play my, my uh, Dwarven Paladin or my Dwarven Cleric. And I run them to death, and those are my those are my stick to type characters. Like I've always been big on dwarves, even though I'm the tall, skinny, lanky guy. And I, everybody's like, "Oh, you should play an elf." Nope, no. Nope. I played an elf one time. Very first campaign I was ever in, my cousin David was like, "Oh, you should play an elven ranger. It'll be good." I rolled eighteen double lot strikes in second ed- edition D anD D, and I was like, "I I can just fight everything on my own. You guys go have fun." <laughs> I, I don't need a, I didn't need a party. I had a composite longbow that could deal with my strength, and I could literally just one-shot stuff that we were coming across. It was horrible. <laughs> Plus, I could lift a wall. <laughs> it was just retarded how how double like how uh, eighteen strength worked in second ed DD. Oh yeah, that was like God near God status. I think like twenty. Yeah. like was literally like deity deity strength is like twenty and above. Yeah, at 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 eighteen strength, like even without the 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 rolling the the hundred sided die, a lot of times you were strong enough to like wrestle with a troll. Well, with the with the the lot, the rolling a hundred on the the two d tens, you ended up with the strength equivalent of like mountain giants. It was ridiculous. Like my my upwards carrying capacity was something like three thousand pounds or some shit. I, I forget exactly what it was, but it was ridiculous. And that's why we've moved on from that edition. Yeah, <laughs> um, like it, it's it's that it's that pure luck stat of strength. Like you you only get that once in a lifetime. I only ever rolled that once, and it just happened to be my very first campaign. Such and good, and then you you kind of faltered after that. Well, the problem was <laughs> is everybody in the everybody in the party just got tired of me one shotting things, or you know, just kind of tired of. The well, fact that my character was so much more broken than everybody else. That's the thing, though. Yeah, I think you're going to run into characters that uh, I know 
when campaigns that Will's ran and we've had parties together and stuff like that, that we've had the characters that like to go out there and just fight. And that's what they're there for the campaign for. Oh, fighter number four. Yeah, fighter number four. And then you have a few of the characters that are kind of, I I do refer to them as the actual like leaders of the group because they're the ones who are driving story. The ones that are fighting don't want to do nothing except for show off how big their sword is. Yeah, you know, get it. Yeah, ha, 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 ha. But uh, then you have the others that are doing that, that actually lead and kind of find out what's going on. And I actually, I've I've played characters where, hey, I've wanted to be the big, strong character. But at the same time, though, I've also seen the light of having kind of, you know, your skill monkey. The one who has so many skills and who's very useful and who I can actually uh, drive or contribute to the story. Well, okay, so... To to kind of give you a basis of why I ended up running the character that I was running, I what we did. You were new. You wanted to be. Well, stuff it up. wasn't just new. It was also <laughs> the way that we we did things back then. It was literally you pick your race, that's it, and then you roll stats in order. Well, the first stat on the sheet is strength. Yeah, I rolled an eighteen. David rolled for my for my uh, percentage dice to see what I was going to end up with on top of that. If I ended up with uh, a fighter class or a power. Uh, uh, fighter, paladin, or ranger. Those were the three classes that got to get lauded or uh, percentile die on top of strength. Mm-hmm. So he rolled that. He managed to roll all zeros. So 100 strength. I rolled dex next. Dex was like 16 or 17. I still rolled pretty high on that. Con, I rolled like a 13. So it ended up being a 12 with the elven disadvantage. You know, intelligence was decently high. Wisdom was decently high. And charisma was okay-ish. Looked at what stats that fits for classes, because classes were restricted by stats back then. You couldn't play a uh, a ranger with low, like below thirteen wisdom and below thirteen dex back then. Well, I had above both of those, so I was like, "All right, I'll play a ranger," because I was an elf already. Figured this gives me, you know, a reason for my bow proficiency. Shoot, you know, I'll do it. Well, then I get the double lot strength thing going on, so. I'm like, I'll pick up a composite longbow that can, you know, withstand the uh, 18 strength mod- modifier. And I'll just, you know, be the oh the bow guy. Well, the problem is, is we never got into an actual fight. Because by the time we, we got it, like, we saw combat coming, I would just merc people from range and be fine. <laughs> right. But like I said, you have people who just, well, I mean, you were new coming in and just kind of going for the fight. Other people who were probably more experienced, like David, was probably well. David, what was David running, was running the game. He was running the game, so he was obviously for more of the story. But <laughs> <laughs> those are the type of things. I think that we kind of have a mix, like no matter what, between the friends you have, the people you meet up with, or you know anything like that. You're always going to have that mix between people who like uh, and go for a story-driven campaign, or people who want to go in there and say, I'm in it for the story, but realistically, I'm in this for a boxing match. <laughs> that That's pretty much how it goes. And to round off a party, you kind of need that. You need the dumb barbarian who doesn't want to do anything except for a fight, and he has no cause except to show that he has the biggest sword. Or burrow so, through all the traps that the rogue is trying to dismantle. Exactly. But you know what, though? That's a key, that's a key point. It's just like... Barbarian luck of running through traps. That's a beautiful thing. I'm just saying. I know uh, one of our friends, Tim, has done that quite a bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you kind of always have that mix of what's going on and who likes to play what. If you're skilled at knowing your DM or you're skilled at knowing what your internal player is 
and building the group, you can kind of focus people into the direction. Here's a good question, though, and this might be kind of the last question we go through for, for this. Have you ever thought about initiating a player as, even though they're a player, but cueing that person in as a role to kind of help guide story? help motivate the team to go in a direction instead of just kind of like be there. And I mean by that, you, like you have a person who is doing one thing and you kind of drop more hints towards them to then persuade the group to not be dumb. John, you know, you know the answer to this for me. <laughs> You're usually the person that I'm like, all right, the rest of the party is kind of dim-witted. Lead them in a direction, John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you ever ran across that or have you ever had to do that? Uh, to, to kind of progress your story? I usually have a session zero, at least for new... Okay, so, like, I don't know. For me, if you're not a new player, that's usually habits you break out of once you, like, learn how to play the game. But yeah. even when new when I do have new players who would normally do that, I usually have a session zero and kind of set up my expectations as a DM of, like, this is, you know, how this game works. It is an open, free sandbox, but... Please be mindful. There's still, you know, think of it like a video game. There's still a campaign that you guys need to complete, you know. So if you could do your best to stick to that, I'd appreciate it. And that way everything runs smoothly for everybody. And usually that works. I don't really need to designate the the leader because everyone just kind of has a mutual understanding of what we're here to do. Yeah, I I always have the, the tendency of, like, having not necessarily a session zero, but more of a, like, I, I, I call it the character creation session. Yeah, where it's, it's just kind of that's what I'm talking about. It's all yeah, that. where you're just sitting down with everybody. You kind of like as the DM, you just kind of go around and you pick character. Like you pick a player, you talk to him for a minute, find out what their character's kind of doing or what they're trying to set up for their character. And it's always one of those things. Like I always kind of have people kind of give me like a motivation for their character or some kind of like o- overarching goal that their character has to kind of understand where I need to funnel things if I do need to funnel things or if, you know, they're going to be good with just going to town with what they want to do. I don't exactly do that per se. What I'll usually try and do is usually try and use that uh, PC as kind of an example, maybe in-game, have the characters gain favor or a little extra something and hope that the other players see it and try and follow suit either in help and pursue storyline or maybe direct their own, their own way. Mm. The only time I've really had issues with that is if... Um, Ooh, piece had, of candy. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like doing that, but sometimes, you know, some people get distracted. But uh, the only people I've actually had problems with that, though, are the purely the combat-heavy murder hobos. Those are usually we know a lot have. of murder hobos, Well, We know a lot of murder It's an hobos. easy path to follow on, and sometimes I, it's too fun. I was going to say, uh, the, I think the problem that we ran into on our side um, is that we do have a lot of friends who they played game for a lot, but they found a a niche and they stay with it. And then that's kind of it. Um, And it's very easily uh, sidetracked for them to ignore story, to do that. And it's kind of sad to say, because we, you know, you, you're like, okay, well you're involved in this and you might be able to drop a piece of candy to pull them back into story. But a majority of the time, even with uh, veteran players that we've played with and everything like that, 
That's just what they like to do. They, Sometimes they, when it's they our veteran t- players that are the worst of the, the yeah, worst offenders. It's very there. true. You know, you, we have a friend and it, very creative. He he does a lot of things. He knows the books. He's one out. of the he's one of the few people that we have that will constantly create a new archetype for his character instead yeah. of just constantly playing a lizard barbarian. Yeah. Looking at you, Tim. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he he well, not <laughs> Tim. Tim is creative when it comes down to certain aspects. Like he created <laughs> his own Fallout universe. Uh, well, took the Fallout universe and then kind of put it towards uh, the campaign. But I'm talking about another friend who can... He's very creative in creating art. He's played a talking the, rock. He, he's, yeah. he's played like 90 different types of wizard. His, his <laughs> Wheelchair goal, wizard. That was the weirdest one. His his goal most of the time in game is put have the DM put the most amount of restriction on him just so he can try to... Break it. Break the restrictions <laughs> and launch a million, you know, magic missiles at a whale and kill it and take it and turn it into a zombie. His home, you mean? Yeah. His home zombie. His home zombie. <laughs> Zombie. That's the type of thing that we run into. Yeah, he's, but, a, uh, he's a great player, very creative, but just so easily sidetracked by his own machinations. <laughs> me and me and him were the greatest of teams when I was playing a paladin and he was playing a wizard, and we somehow did the fusion dance at the end of the campaign to become god. We literally became one person. It was kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know players like that. Sometimes you have to just remind them, like I'm not. Bethesda, this isn't Skyrim. Like, I don't yeah. have a million side quests for you to do. This world ends at a certain point, but it's an illusion. Right. That, that's an illusion that I like to keep up that it doesn't, but... Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait, wait. Please meet me halfway in that, you know, this is a shared experience, not your, not just yours. <laughs> right. I Sometimes I've had to create invisible walls just to, just to rein certain people in. Yeah. <laughs> that's what happens when you're a DM. You, you you have to know the balance of like doing this, and then sometimes you got to be like, God said no. <laughs> that's it. You're God. Someone else is God. It doesn't matter. God said no. That's why you can't do it. And it sucks that you have to do that sometimes, but it, it is what it is. I'm slowly trying to find my ways. Like, like I'm focusing more on the fun aspect of games because it's it's what's supposed to be. You know, it's gaming supposed to be fun. So I try not to put that limit of. The higher power said no. Yeah. And more of trying to find in-game reasons of why you can't do this or what what stops you in-game from doing this or that. Well, that's it's a fantasy game. God says no. <laughs> yeah, but the, the issue is, though, is that it's... Hey, you, it's give, easy... you give God a way to say no. You you throw out <laughs> death fog or... Yeah. It aggravates your players to do it again. Like, yeah. another just, time. Yeah. And it's just it's too easy of a trope. It's It's no one enjoys it. It's almost as if, you know, it's almost as bad as a gene sequence that some people hate. I'm going to beat you. If you- <laughs> there are there are better ways that, you know, I'm trying to figure out more to handle players like that. But it's sometimes, unfortunately, yeah, the deity has to say no. Well, and with that being said, I think we're actually going to roll out for today. We I think we've covered a lot of different stuff and wide range of different systems and how things are from a DM or, or player point of view. But, um, Brennan, I really want to thank you for coming on the show today and kind of spending some time with us uh, in talking, you know, D&D, especially with all the experience you bring. So we actually want to give you the chance right now to go ahead and, you know, put yourself out there and uh, let the people know who you really are and what you kind of do with your projects. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I had a good time, you know, at any kind of tabletop conversation I, I can really get into but um you can listen to me at uh meta magic uh the rpg podcast which you can find pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts itunes stitcher spotify 
um, you'll be able to find me. Um, it's going to be a podcast just based around tabletop discussion, kind of the meta, like DMing, and, and I review certain books as well that you may never have heard of. Um, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at CastMetaMagic. If you want to follow, catch up with my episodes there, see what's what I'm working on. But that's all I've really got going right now. So, all right. Well, thanks again. And we're we're actually going to be, of course, putting all those links so you can follow Brendan down below. Um, and we just want to thank everyone again for listening and have a good day. So, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you like, share, and subscribe, and drop a comment down below. And if you're listening to us on one of our many providers, such as Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play. Don't forget, we also have content over on YouTube with many other interesting videos for you to watch. And make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and any of the other social medias listed down below to find out what's going on with the crew. And if you'd like, you can chat with the Rollers crew or any other fan base on Discord. Don't forget to follow us over on Twitch, where I will live stream random things throughout the week. And if you'd like to see this channel grow, don't forget we have a Patreon. You can come on over and become a supporter today.